Welcome back to the show, everybody. Brennan Fitz Podcast. Good to be with you and good to be back in the swing of things at the commentary table, Octagon side for the UFC this week. Um, recording this on Sunday, just the day after. You might be able to tell with my voice, but, uh, you know, only eight fights, as it were. <laughs> what a wild um, stretch from. I guess you'd call it Thursday afternoon, evening until uh, the fights actually happen on Saturday night. And even while the fights were happening on Saturday night, going to get to all of it, going to get to the Trevin Giles, Kevin Holland fight situation, which was supposed to open the main card and going to get to the main event in just a minute and uh, some other questions. So I put out on Twitter right after the show last night, I said the UFC broadcast podcast Q&A and um you know, when I went solo on this podcast uh, back in June, um, you know, I wrestled with what's going to make my podcast different. Why, how can I help MMA fans or, or serve you guys in terms of what you would want to hear and something that might be a little different? And uh, I didn't want to just be straight fight talk and what I think about the performance and the fighters and, and that sort of thing. I thought maybe a peek behind the curtain at certain behind the scenes things that uh, that's something that I can offer that you can't really get anywhere else in terms of fight talk. You can get a lot of reaction to our main event and commentary on refereeing and judging and things like that, but you can't exactly get uh, some of the behind the scenes stuff that goes on in the broadcast. So that's kind of my idea of this um, little project here. And uh, obviously I can't pull the curtain completely back all the time, but I can certainly give you guys some good nuggets and uh, peeking behind the scenes, I think, is uh is a really fun way to do things um so edmund shabazi so edmund shabazian goes down uh in the third round of a three-round main event early in that third round got one question too on the reaction when i put out questions why was it only three rounds um if you didn't know holly holm arena aldana that was supposed to be the main event five rounds and that fell out like a little over a week ago and so uh, they made it three rounds. We saw a similar situation last November in Moscow when Calvin Cater and Zabit Magomed Sharipov got thrust into a main event on short notice. And um, with that, they made that one just three rounds. According to Shabazian, he wanted to go five rounds. He said yes to five rounds, and then they offered it up, and then Brunson said no. I uh, thought that was interesting because Brunson, it was his fourth time uh entering a main event but obviously a veteran so he said three rounds and and they did it at three and obviously Brunson had the better gas tank and Shabazian's only been out of a first round now twice it was only once when he went the distance against Darren Stewart and uh so surprised but he thought he was game for it and uh man he gassed hard in that second round and uh, a lot was taken out of him and then gets finished early in the third round so um, here's what I think quickly on the main event after I said I'm not going to give a ton of fight talk. I'll start with fight talk. Um, Shabazian, man, he was throwing those huge shots. And you could see Brunson just kind of like see it from a mile away and dip under it. Brunson said this week uh, his O's got to go. I remember when I was 9-0 and and just wrecking everybody. Um, planned to put Shabazian in deep waters and adversity that he hadn't faced before. And he did exactly that. So for Shabazian, he's 22 years old. He's going to be back. Uh, plenty of upside, plenty of reason to believe he can still be a big thing, a big star, a championship contender, a future champion in the UFC. Um, saw that he posted on Instagram, just needed some stitches. Uh, I'll be back. And congrats to Derek Brunson. He's a really nice kid. Uh, got a good head on his shoulders. I actually sat next to Edmund at UFC 245. 
which was uh, Covington and Usman. I was there with my wife because I wasn't working, and uh, we had good seats, and they kind of sat as I was near a lot of the fighters. Gilbert Burns was right behind me, and Anthony Smith was down there, and uh, I saw a bunch of them, and right to my left was Edmund Shabazian and his dad. So uh, I chatted with them a little bit, and uh, man, he's a really nice kid, and he's still got a very bright future. I saw something that Brunson said in the post-fight press conference afterwards. He was like, this is why we shouldn't hype guys up. You know, we should, if you're good, you'll rise to the top. We shouldn't do the hype train thing. Um, he was like, in the NBA, if you're good, you play and you, and you play deep into the playoffs and you win championships and and that's how it goes. And then you get the popularity after you're good. We shouldn't hype these young guys up. You should earn it. So I hear that. And I especially hear that from veterans that maybe don't have a huge name or don't have a lot of shine or just kind of have been around for a while like Brunson. Um, but here's the difference. You cannot, it's not an apples to apples thing. You can't say we shouldn't do this in our sport because in the NBA, that's not how it worked. You're just good and you play and that's it. But the NBA is a league. The NFL is a league. The NHL, it's a league. The best players are on certain teams. You put enough good players on a certain team and it works, then the better teams rise to the top. When it all comes together, you have big stars that are on great teams, and then uh, they get a lot of attention. The Patriots with Tom Brady at the helm. And in the NFL, it's kind of built in. You kind of have to have big stars to be really good. But the Jacksonville Jaguars were good, and nobody really cared. You know, Blake Bortles was just making it happen. They had a really strong defense. They didn't have big stars, but they were still in the conference championship game. The UFC is not a league. MMA doesn't work the same way that leagues do. What do we call the UFC? The UFC is a promotion. Bellator is a promotion. 1FC is a promotion. It is built into the organization and what it is and how it exists in the sport of mixed martial arts or other combat sports. They are promotions. Dana White is a fight promoter. He is not a commissioner. You know, he's the president of the UFC which is a promotion. So that in lies, it's built into the name as to what we do in terms of building up these fights and uh, getting people to watch and getting people excited about it. It's all part of it. It's why our production department is so good. It's why our features are so good. You know, the NFL will put together a great feature to start the night at the beginning of a huge game, at the beginning of the conference championship game in the Super Bowl, there's all this buildup and stuff like that. They don't do it in week four when the Jets are playing the Vikings in Minnesota. They don't do it when Cleveland's playing the Miami Dolphins in week 11. They don't come up with this huge open with, um, you know, um, all the bells and whistles in terms of what's going to make it great and whatever. It's a game. It's, it's on a schedule. And in mixed martial arts, you can't abide by that. Like Brian Ortega hasn't fought since December of 2018, yet he's still in the top five. And when he comes back, we're going to pump the hell out of that thing because it's going to be a big fight, whether it's Korean Zombie or whoever else. And uh, another guy like Calvin Cater, same division, he's fought and won already in, on big stages this year. So he's made a quick rise. Ortega's taking his time. They're still neck and neck in the rankings. And so you can't just treat it like that, like every other league. So I just thought um, that was interesting that Brunson said, and I can certainly understand it from a fighter's perspective, who's 
earned it and been there and been in the top 10 for a while and and proven himself as one of the best in the middleweight division which Brunson has and he did so again last night but um you know it's not apples to apples to say you should just earn it and that's how you should do it Sean O'Malley we're gonna find out you know what I mean the 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 rise of Sean O'Malley has been really fun and he does has have, have a lot of promotion behind him and a lot of hype behind him now partly it's because of his personality but he's gone out there and he's delivered now he's getting Marlon Vera coming up uh, in two weeks at UFC 252. I think it's 252, right? Um, and so, uh, but it's fun. And then we'll find out what Sean O'Malley is. And then when the hype and the results match up, then you get superstars, right? The hype on Ronda Rousey. Then she went out and delivered with first round finish after first round finish, defended the belt, set these records. She was the pioneer um, in women's MMA in terms of getting into the UFC. And guys like Brunson should thank the hype trains, you know, um, and, and all of the women in the UFC that fight in the UFC should thank Ronda Rousey because the hype and the results matched up. She brought the sport to a new level, and now everyone gets paid a little bit more because the sport continues to grow. It's the Tiger Woods effect in golf. All golfers should be very thankful no matter what they think of Tiger Woods forever because of the way he elevated the sport. He brought new sponsors into the sport and now golfers make more money, way more money than they ever did in the 90s before Tiger came along. And it was immediate. Phil Mickelson said it. He's like, I was in the PGA Tour since 92, 93. Tiger comes along. All of a sudden these purses, you're, you're winning a million dollars if you win a tournament instead of a couple hundred thousand, things like that. So when you have the hype trains and, and that sort of thing and, and, the, and the fight game gets brought to the forefront and ESPN's covering it, obviously they're covering it because of our deal now, but it's on SportsCenter and all those sorts of things. It's better for everybody. A rising tide raises all boats. So, um, you know, so I just wanted to say that. Okay, so um, that's what I want to say about the main event. Um, also had some other interesting results. Jennifer Maya, is she next in line for a title? Feel for Jojo Calderwood, who then went and fainted in the hospital or fainted in the back medical room. They had to bring her to the hospital. She appears okay now. But um, I saw some things on online too, and I thought this during the fight, but it's not my place to say, but she did not look like she was moving well in that first round. And I said, uh, man, Joanne Calderwood doesn't, I, I, I was, I was kind of like, oh, I know that she's the, the third-ranked contender, she's putting her title shot on the line. She just didn't look as crisp as we expect her to be. So Jennifer Maya, huge victory for her. And she was only a small underdog. She was plus 130. Uh, Dana, I think, alluded to the fact that um, she'll get the next title shot. Okay, I'm going to just go to, through these questions because I'm already 11 minutes in and I want to get to all of them. Um, okay, I want to address the Giles and uh, Kevin Holland situation because somebody asked me that on Instagram and I said, I'll go over it and I'll tell the story. Uh, bedside rumble on Instagram. So what exactly happened with the Trevin Giles fight? Did he faint as he was about to walk out? Okay, so here's what happened. Um, we just we got through the prelims, four fight prelims, right? There was only nine fights after Gerald Merchart and Ed Herman called off on fight day. And uh, GM3, thoughts with him as he tested positive for COVID-19. And I'm going to bring the Ed Herman thing back. Uh, as we mentioned on the broadcast and as Kevin Holland tweeted in a minute. So we end up the, the prelims kind of perfectly timed to where the prelims ended. You know, we didn't have to use the desk crew. We didn't have to fill a lot of time 10 minutes before the top of the hour. It was like right there. J- 
Jonathan Martinez gets the knockout. We got a few minutes. Uh, we tie up the show and the main card starts and you kind of do that reset, right? We have that uh, another open of here's what's coming up on the main card. We come back on camera. We say ready for a fun night of fights uh, with Dom Cruz and Felder. Loved working with Dom Cruz and Felder. That was our first time together. I had called only two shows with Dom Cruz and they were both contender series. So this was my first show, UFC show with Dom. And it was a pleasure. Uh, I really liked working with him. Uh, I like how he calls fights. I like how he uh, really studies what's going on in there. He doesn't just talk and then and then gives you some gold in terms of what he's seeing and what's happening. And then Felder, obviously, I worked with him a bunch of times. We broke in together. So as a three-man booth, that was a lot of fun. And uh, I think it came across on the broadcast. And uh, my boss afterwards was uh, liking it and said, I'd like to get three of you back together again in the future. It really worked well. So... Uh, props to those guys always a blast to work with some of the best in the world and uh, great guys um so where was I going so we come on camera me Dom and Felder and I can't exactly remember when the truck got in my ear and told me that fight was off I think it was as the open you know that two-minute open where uh, it's a prepackaged thing uh telling us what's coming up on the main card like it's a great main card from las vegas well you know it's not me talking it's it's an announcer and it's and it's a pre-produced uh piece of video so during that they tell me trevin giles fainted in the back um and they're like that fight's not going to happen or they're not ready to walk um so we're going to have to fill some more time so um, it happens a lot sometimes depending on the in-house, like if we were in arenas with crowds and stuff like that. It's like sometimes we meet, need more time depending on the last fight, depending on the the next fighters and, and their warm-up times and, and how the arena presentation is matching up with our TV presentation. Now we obviously don't really have to worry about that because the arena presentation is it's still there to give it ambiance, but it's not there for the people in the building. The people in the building are Dana and the commission and and people that need to be there. So uh, that takes one of the tricky elements out of it, but they're just like, we need to fill some time. So we come on camera, opening comments. We always pump the main event. Um, you know, some video on Derek Brunson, what makes him great, video at Edmund Shabazian, why he's earned his shot in the top 10 in a main event in his first one, and some background on that. And then we talked about the co main event. Now, we weren't exactly going to talk about the co main event in that spot. But we have all these elements ready in case. So we just needed to fill more time. So we talked more about Calderwood and about Jennifer Maya. And all the while, while they're talking through the fighters, they're kind of giving me the information in terms of what happened and where to go next. So they're like, we're going to send it back to Heidi. And so Heidi Andral was uh, our backstage reporter last night. She was obviously filled in. And then you see it on the broadcast. All right, Kevin Holland and Trevin Giles are supposed to lead the main card. That's not happening. Here's Heidi Andral with the report. And then she fills you guys in. And really, in this situation, you know, this doesn't happen a ton where our backstage reporter is breaking news and we're all listening into it because we want to know, as well as you guys, a really unique situation on Saturday where Heidi's talking and like I'm listening because I don't know what's going on. Usually those reports are something that they've worked on all week. And they've talked to the fighters, and it's like, okay, I'm going to come in with this. So um, great job by Heidi and great job by our crew to kind of get all the nuts and bolts of what was happening back there. It sounded like Giles was, you know, shadowboxing in the locker room, and he fainted. And I think I remember Heidi saying this, 
um, that his eyes didn't shut, but his eyes kind of just glazed over and he was kind of just out. He was out with his eyes open. Um, you know, kind of like a flash knockout, nerves, whatever it was. I don't, I don't know if we figured out what it was. He was taken to the hospital. But then we showed the video, too, on the broadcast of Giles was up, sitting in a chair, talking, probably kind of unsure what happened and confused, but like with it and wanted to fight. Um, kind of unexplainable in terms of how the process works. I can't imagine what the heart rate is for fighters back there. Brian Ortega's told me this. I did an interview with Brian Ortega last November because he was supposed to fight in Korea. And Ortega uh, is always very candid. And uh, that's why I love talking to him. And he and he walked me through the whole process of like what it's like in the back where it's like, okay, then it's time to get your hand wrapped. And you're looking at your hand getting wrapped and you're like, what am I doing? What am I about to do? Like, why, why do I do this? And your heart rate starts going and you like warm up. So it's, it feels normal because you're warming up. And then, and then it's like, okay, then it's time to get your kid on. And then it's time to, all right, ready in two minutes. And you're really like, oh, you know, it's like this sense of anxiety. And Felder said this too. It's like this sense of anxiety. Like, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. And then you're like forced to walk and then you get out there. And Ortega was like, yep. And then that's why you see everybody take a drink of water as their names getting announced or right before us because their mouth is dry because everybody has anxiety and is scared for what they're about to do. We're willing to do it. It's what we do. And we're really good at it. But uh, Ortega's like, and then I see a guy take a sip of water across the octagon. And uh, I'm like, yep, okay, good. He's feeling the same exact way. I knew it, but that confirmed it. So I can't imagine in that locker room for the buildup. And this is also something that Forrest Griffin told me on episode one of the podcast. If you go back and listen to it last year. He was like, the anticipation of getting into a fight is way worse than getting into a fight. Uh, and we were talking, it was like 11 in the morning. It was like 11 a.m. near lunchtime. And he goes, we could get in a fight right now. It's not that hard. We could just get in a fight. He goes, but you tell me I'm getting in a fight at 3 o'clock this afternoon. Then, then we got some problems. Then I'm going to think about a thousand different ways that you're going to try to beat me and a thousand different things that I could possibly do and what's the best approach. So that's that whole buildup of fight day and in the back. And so Trevin Giles, obviously, um, you know, his biochemistry got the better of him in that situation. He passes out and I'm not surprised and kind of hats off to the commission. You got to just call it off at that point. I mean, a guy literally faints in the back, um, abundance of caution and he's out. Now, I hope Trevin wanted to fight and his coaches wanted him to fight and they were kind of pleading their case. But the fight was already called off. And kind of once it's called off, I don't think there's any coming back from that. Kevin Holland, think about his perspective. He's sitting in the locker room, thinks he's walking in two minutes, going through all that same anxiety. Now, Kevin Holland's a pretty loosey-goosey customer. but uh, So he was probably feeling all right. But uh, all of a sudden, you're not fighting. You're not competing. You were supposed to be on ESPN+. Plus, supposed to be back in the UFC for your fifth or sixth appearance or whatever it was. And um, now it's like, stop can't do it. He, he's not available. So, um, you know, thoughts with Kevin Holland in that situation too. Then Holland goes and tweets out, I'll also fight Ed Herman. Uh, and then like another tweet, like, I'm not kidding, uh, redhead, like, let's go bucko, let's go bucko or something like that. And so 
the opener of the main card, you know, we kind of skate. Lando Van Adam, Bobby Green, they were ready to go after that. Great fight. Ends up being the fight of the night, the rematch. Bobby Green gets the win. After that fight, and I think that's when we showed the tweets from Kevin Holland and my uh, producer, my coordinating producer in my ear, he said, he's like, don't deliver it. He's like, but they're trying to make it happen. They're trying to actually make this happen. So don't say they're trying to make it happen. Just say, ah, oh, you never know. Let's just put up the tweets and have some fun with it and just leave it. Um, so that's what we did. And obviously people online on Twitter started retweeting it and doing all this other stuff with it. But it, it didn't come about. But Dana White comes over to our broadcast position after the Lando Venata Bobby Green fight kind of gives us a fist bump, says hello uh to dom and felder and me and then um we were like talking to we were like asking him like hey is ed herman he's just like yeah mick's trying to track down ed herman right now like he's trying to see where he is like does he want to get here we're trying to still make the fight and at that point i was like what unless you unless you tack on something after the main event right because kevin holland's obviously already but ed herman that afternoon at like one in the afternoon is told he's not fighting so you'd have to give him time to like get in his kit, hands wrapped, get to the apex, uh, warm up, kind of get like ready for a fight, you know, in the UFC. And Kevin Holland's sitting there like, yeah, I'll make it happen. So Mick gets finally tracks down Ed Herman, who was understandably upset because his fight got called off the day of the fight. Um, and Mick was like, do you want to fight? Kevin Holland's sitting here like waiting and uh, you can fight or whatever. And Herman had... Uh, you know, he got his Saturday night off in the afternoon. So what did he do? You know, he started early, hit the bottle a little bit. And he was like, I can't fight right now. Um, and so ultimately that fight's not able to happen. But since we had such a short main card, too, that was like after the first fight, they were trying to make it happen. We only had two more until the main event. So I wonder if Ed Herman was like, screw it. Yeah, let's do it. If they would have put that after the main event, if we would have had like Brunson Shabazi and been like, wait a second, folks, there's more Ed Herman and Kevin Hall. Can you imagine? Uh, it's just, you know, the fight game is just bananas. And again, that's go, to go back to Brunson and we should treat it like the other leagues where there's no hype trains. Just like, yeah, but stuff doesn't happen like it happens in MMA in the UFC, man. It's just it is totally different. Um, but all the best to Trevin Giles. I know that Kevin Holland obviously wants to fight, so I think they're going to give him a quick turnaround, and I think he might fight this coming week on Saturday the 8th. Um, me and Felder will be on the call for that one. And um, so, like I said last week, I'm going to be busy going forward for pretty much the rest of the year. So we'll see if Kevin Holland can get uh, back in action. And also Trevin Giles. I wonder if Giles is okay if his nerves just got the better of him, if they can keep that fight together, because we've got room on that card and put those guys in for next week if each of them are willing to hang around in Las Vegas for an extra seven days. So um, we'll see. But anyways, that's what happened. All right. Um, so I wanted to give the full explanation there. Always a topsy-turvy world. Uh, I was kind of hoping that fight would happen, but uh, it ended up not happening. All right. Dan Tom, who uh, writes for MMA Junkie, um, asked me on Twitter, was Paul really tallying nut shots tonight? <laughs> and if so, can you all make that part of the protocol? So obviously in the prelims, if you watched, a lot of groin strikes. Um, I think after like three fights, we had like six or seven. Um, like Nate Manus got popped a couple of times down low by Johnny Munoz. 
a couple of newcomers there. Uh, there was definitely one in the featured prelim. Uh, there's just a lot. I think there was one in every prelim and then it continued and whatever, and it became a thing. And so, yes, like once it started to like happen or whatever, and the truck, uh, let us know like how many it was and stuff, we just had fun with it. Like, right. Like just run with it because it became a theme of the night in terms of what kept happening. And, uh, so yeah, Felder was like, I think sitting there writing it down. Like he was like, Oh, that's nine. And he like wrote down nine so that the next time it happened, he'd cross it out and write down 10. So yeah, Felder was in fact keeping track of the groin strikes and uh, it was good to have uh, fun a little bit. Um, another one on Twitter said, is it time for Herb Dean to take a break or possibly even hang it up? Two consecutive events where he's involved in controversy. Um, so, and then Herb Dean refed the main event again. But I also saw Chaz Skelly, right? UFC featherweight online said Herb did a perfect job tonight. Um, I don't have a problem with Herb Dean not stopping the fight at the end of the second round. It was short time. Uh, the biggest shot landed like right at the horn, right? Brunson gets busy in the last five or 10 seconds. He th- it, it looked like he was going to ride out the round on top. And then he f- finds an opening and he goes ground and pound a few big shots right at the end. And like, I don't, I said like, oh, was it a late shot? I think I even mentioned this on the broadcast. Like, was that last one a late shot? And I didn't mean foul play from Brunson. Just like, I think it was like, you know, in terms of like his elbow was almost connected. And then it was like horn smack or like, you know, it was a tie. Like it was right at the end. And that was no doubt the biggest shot. So, but then Brunson pops right, or uh, Shabazian pops right up. Right. Like Brunson gets off of him and then it's like, you need to get up. And we saw a stoppage on Fight Island where the guy couldn't get up, couldn't get up, couldn't get up. And then Eve Levine called it. So Herb kind of was had his eye on it. And Shabazian stands right up, you know, probably wasn't totally 100 percent his best at that moment. But he stood right up. He walked right over to his corner. The only thing that Herb did at the end of that second round was when he pushed Brunson off at the horn, he kind of waved his hand. Um, And so. I I don't know if I reacted as if it was a finish. I think I kind of did. Um, if I had more time to put together audio and stuff like that, but my schedule is just busy, so I just wanted to get a podcast together for you guys. But it, you know, I think I might have thought there was a finish because that was a huge shot at the end. And when Herb came in to get Brunson off of him because it was the end of the round, he just moved his hand in the way that referees usually do when they call off the fight right with the hands over the head but sometimes they just wave one hand and that's kind of like the signal and so herb pushes brunson off and he pushed the way that he pushed him off is also kind of like how they stop the fight where they push him off uh usually they put their hands on him at the end of the round and say stop but herb pushes brunson off and then just gives his hand like a little wag just a little wag and uh so that's why i thought it could have been a fight ending sequence in terms of what was happening there. But Shabazian pops right up. Herb took a look at him. He's allowed to go over to his corner. The cut man goes in and takes care of uh, the big cuts that happen. And uh, then Dana White at the end of the night seemed to just have a problem with how long the doctor talked to Shabazian. And the doctor was in there. He's like, you feel okay? You you feel okay? Sure, whatever. And Dana just wanted that to happen a little more efficiently in terms of is the fight going to continue or not? So and then Herb was quick on the stoppage in the in the third round. You know, Brunson obviously kind of blitzed him, went right back to work, and then Herb stepped in. No late stoppage. 
I don't think it should have been stopped at the end of the second round. Uh, and then certainly not a late stoppage and adequate and I would say really good stoppage in that third round. It's clear Shabazian kind of was out of it, couldn't do it. There was even talk of should the corner have stopped it in between the second and third round. Um, even though Shabazian was in the shape that he was in, like, I don't know. I don't put it on the corner there to stop it either. I think that, like, who knows? Like, they could have, and I obviously they know their fighter better than anybody else, but, you know, I, I don't know. I, I feel like in 2020, we're, like, almost... We're quick to point at corners and tell them to stop fights. Um, and, you know, safety of the athletes and all that other stuff. But uh, I, I just feel like in, in, you know, my time with the UFC is at three years now. And it's, so it's relatively brief. But I just think that uh, certainly it's happened more this year in terms of people calling for that than in 2019, 2018, 2017 um, that I've seen. So anyways, there's that. All right, back to kind of some uh, broadcast-related stuff. Nolan King, MMA Junkie, says, Nice to have you back in the mix. Not rusty at all, I might add. I appreciate that. And then somebody quickly commented on his post and said he was a little rusty, but can't blame him. Still a huge fan. Keep up the good work. So appreciate both of that. Um, The rustiness in terms of being off for a while, like the last play-by-play I called was June 13th for Jessica I and Cynthia Calvillo, and I appreciate the compliment, Nolan. Um, and for the other guy, what there was a, just a few moments where uh, it was rusty, but it wasn't in terms of the fight call. It was like some of the elements in between. And uh, you got to know where you're going next, and you got to know what card you're reading next and stuff like that. And uh, so I could have been sharper at certain points throughout the night. I agree with that. But, I mean, I feel like you could say that after any show. In terms of the rustiness, I didn't expect to be rusty. I, um, when you have that kind of time off in between shows, like it was probably eight weeks or so, and you have the type of job that I do where you love to do it so much and you, it's a performance, if you will, right? Like, um, you know, think about a famous musician, think about Bruno Mars, right? And if he's on tour and then he takes five weeks off, let's say he's doing two, three shows a week. And you know, he's, he's earning it cause he dances and he's singing and whatever, and then you give him four or five weeks off, he's not going to be rusty. He's he's going to be raring to go and probably give one of the better performances on the tour if you catch him on that first night after a break. And that's that's how I feel with this job for the most part is when I do get a month in between shows because of the schedule being in Europe or, um, you know, if, if Annex doing a couple in a row and then they're in Europe and Gooden's on one and then I get another one, which, you know, it happens every year. The, the, the busyness come, that comes in waves uh, for the, you know, same same reason why um, or the same in the same way that Annick called the first two events of Fight Island. Gooden got the last two. Now I'm getting one. Then I get next week and then Annick will be back. And man, he's you, you better be ready. He's going to be ready to go. You know, so um, that's kind of how it works, where. Once you're at that level where you're good enough at it, where, you know, the three of us are and uh, the, the analyst, too, I feel like you, you're kind of like a racehorse that's just sitting in that gate, you know, like you're sitting in that gate and you're ready to run. So let me run. And uh, that's kind of the position I've been in over the past month is like, man, I, I want to call the show again. Had plenty of time to prepare. I was sharp, uh, had a lot of information on all the fighters and uh, just you know, sharp and ready to go. So uh, appreciate the compliments for those who, who like having me back on the mic. Uh, let's see what else. What's next for Edmund and Brunson? Uh, 
So just quickly on this one, for Edmund Shabazian, uh, now he's 11-1, no longer undefeated. He was 9. He was fighting 8. I don't expect him to drop in the rankings too much. I think Uriah Hall is 10, fighting Yoel Romero, who's like 5. So I think you could see Shabazian move down to 10, maybe 11. I think Uriah Hall probably gets back into the top 10. For Shabazian, I was looking at the rankings, and uh, Ian Heinish is in the top 15. I I like Shabazian and Ian Heinish. Heinish actually said strategically, and I like this, when he won on the Contender Series, he was like, I want to take out all the other middleweights from the Contender Series. And Shabazian is one of those guys. He said, I want to be the king of the middleweight Contender Series guys before then I go. Heinish has had a good run, obviously, just coming off a big win over uh, Gerald Mershart. So Heinish and Shabazian, I think you can match them up. Um, What else? I had another rankings out here. Uh, Marvin Vittori sitting there at 14. Shabazian and Marvin Vittori. I think that's an interesting matchup. Vittori is like a really, really bright prospect. And, um, you know, there's always heat on it because of just the way that he acts and the way that he goes after his opponent psychologically during fight week and he gets in their grill. And Shabazian's a, a really nice kid. So those are the two names that stood out to me. Ian Heinish sitting there at 13. And Marvin Vittori at 14, and I expect Shabazian to drop to 10. You know, those guys get to fight up for Shabazian, gets to, you know, still fight a ranked opponent. Uh, well rounded guys with wrestling backgrounds, which he obviously struggled against in Derek Brunson in terms of uh, mixing the grappling with the striking. So, um, you know, Shabazian beats one of those guys, he's right back up toward the top, you know. Um, for Derek Brunson, Dana said Kelvin Gastelum who's at seven. Brunson just won and was at eight. So maybe Brunson leaps Gaston. We'll see. Uh, Jack Hermanson after a big win sitting there at four. Um, I don't know if Hermanson, since he's in the top five, will fight down because Brunson's not going to jump all the way into the top five. Um, You know, Darren Till sitting there at six, but he's out with knee surgery right now after uh, the torn ligament. So yeah, I, I think Gastelum and Brunson is a good fight. And those guys are neck and neck in the rankings. I like that. I wouldn't be, uh, I wouldn't hate Hermanson and Brunson, but I think after some big wins for Hermanson, I think, I think Hermanson maybe gets. Uh, I don't know who does Hermanson get though. You know, Uriah Hall, Yo- Yoel Romero winner, something like that. So that's what I think in terms of what might be next for those guys. I think it's really interesting for Shabazian though. He's not going to drop out of the rankings, but you know, give him somebody still ranked and and whatever. Uh, here I thought was a good question um, from Daniel Lavender on Twitter. What what are your favorite moments on the commentary side of things that might not necessarily translate to the broadcast? Um, that's a good question. I, th- I thought that was a, an interesting question, a good question. So, um, I, I mean, I like to think that my enthusiasm translates because if it didn't, I wouldn't have the job, right? If it if you're not enthusiastic about it in our role, you can spy it out quickly, especially fans of MMA, which are so passionate and into it. They can spot people who are not super into the sport pretty quickly and um, much in the same way that hockey is. And I was always a hockey fan growing up and played hockey, um, some club hockey in college all the way up. So when there's like somebody on Sports Center mispronouncing hockey names, you can sense it right away. And somebody that's doing a hockey highlight, you could just tell, do they know the game or do they not? 
And um, so I, I feel like MMA and hockey are pretty much, they're, they're very aligned. I mean, there's a lot of crossover fans in both because of the natures of the sport. Um, obviously, MMA is big in Canada. And they're just aligned in terms of the types of sport they have, the types of fans they have from a passion standpoint. And then also there's people that really like both. Um, so I get it. So my enthusiasm, I would say, is, is the, the fact that I love it so much, you know, the, the fact that I get to perform um, and, and kind of be in front of the camera. Like I'm, I'm naturally I'm a Leo. I'm naturally kind of like I like attention. I like, um, you know, it's just it's, I, I've, I've just always been that way. I like to perform. For, I mean, I started a podcast. I put myself on camera. It's called the Benefits Podcast. I mean, what do you want? So. The enthusiasm, I feel like, translates. Uh, the big calls are obviously fun if you get a big knockout call and then uh, and then it's on promos. Like, you know, these Dana White Contender Series promos that are coming out. And it's like, my voice is on that Sean O'Malley knockout from Dana White's Contender Series and the Greg Hardy one and the Shabazian one. And so, like, when when those promos get brought out, it's like, it's really cool when, when Shevchenko is defending her belt and I've called a couple of her fights on the way up and you get my, so that's cool. But I would think that would be self-explanatory. So I'll give you this, Daniel, in terms of my favorite moments, I'll give you two in terms of my favorite moments or things. If you phrase it moments, I'll give it to you this way. I love when you feel like you're having a good show, which we were last night. You feel like you're having a good show and you're building up to the main event. And the fights were good, and they certainly picked up. The first few of the uh, prelims could have been a little more, uh, could have been a little more exciting. But you know, featured prelim was kind of a, a slugfest, and then uh, we had that drama at the top of the main card. Venata and Bobby Green was a great fight. Uh, Maya finishes Calderwood, um, so we had good fights on the way. Oh, Vicente Luque. I mean, I got to give him a shout out. Guy's an animal again, and gets another bonus. So I don't want to leave him out. So you're having a good show. The fights are exciting. You're building up. There's a main event, which is obviously almost all the time the one with the most at stake, undefeated, you know, whatever. I always love the moment where I read the lead to the feature. And this is even more so when there's a crowd full of people. I really love it in the arenas. Obviously, now it's a little different, but I still like the moment. When, when you come up and you kind of show the rankings, all right, here's what's at stake. It's time for our main event. And then I read a lead to a feature, right? For Derek Bronson, this, this, this. For Edmund Shabazian, I think my lead last night was Edmund Shabazian, views this as just another stop on his way to greatness. And then it goes black and you rolled the feature. When you, when you nail that read, when you hit that line, I think I even stumbled on that read last night. Yikes. But um, when, you, when you nail that one and then the feature goes and you're like, cool, man one more fight and we're having a good night having a good time with dom having a good time with felder what a job i have it kind of like i have because that feature is usually two to three minutes long you have a second to like just be like take it in take it all in here's another fight night i got to call it i'm working with absolute studs of fighters and i love all of the analysts that i work with giving me a whole new batch of friends the producers in the truck that i communicate with all night are great friends of mine and i just kind of sit there for like 10 seconds and i'm like yeah what a gig man what a life um what a sport can't wait to watch this one and then you kind of kind of zone in or whatever 
but you have those thoughts and then you let the main event walks build when they're walking in the back and then they walk out. So like I said, it is exponentially cool when there's an, a, a, an arena full of people. I think about the one in Nashville in March of last year when it was Wonder Boy against Pettis. And I hit that read because in the crowd, you know, there's music playing and whatever. They're just kind of waiting for the main event while we do our TV thing, while we wait for the commercial break and build it up. Welcome back inside the arena. But then when you guys watch the feature on the broadcast, that's what plays in the arena as well, as you may know if you've been to an event. So when you hit that line and then it fades to black on your TV screen and goes into the feature, that's what happens in the arena. And there's a rise from the crowd. So in Nashville, it was really cool because there's a lot of Wonder Boy fans there since we were in the South. And one stayed over from South Carolina and it started with him like in a karate gi. And he was like, I spent years in the fight game. I just remember like it went to black. And then when Wonder Boy popped out, huge roar from the crowd because it was like Wonder Boy and Pettis, two big stars and stuff. So that one was really cool. And now, obviously, we don't have the crowd noise to do it. But in terms of moment, if you're going to say, what's your favorite moment that doesn't translate to the broadcast, that's the moment. Like that that main event feature starting into those walks. And then I also really like the tail of the tape for the main event. And then once again, one final time, here's Bruce Buffer. And then uh, when Bruce comes on for that main event... That's cool because then you have another few minutes where you just did the walks. You're ready for the fight. But Bruce obviously has a full intro. They have a stare down. And then you can kind of take in that moment too. So so those moments surrounding the main event, um, just just really cool from a broadcast perspective. Even though it's not me talking at those moments, it's the chance to kind of take in what we've been doing and what we've done that night and how the fights have been. And uh, man, it's just great. I mean, every time, even when the we even when the fight nights are, you know, not uh, not as exciting, right? Because not every fight night is the, the most amazing, and not every pay per view is the most amazing, right? Because if they were all amazing, then none would be amazing. So um, it's obviously way cooler when you have a wonderful, incredible night of action. But it's always uh, just one of the parts of the job that I love the most. And then I was gonna say too, this isn't a moment, but really just the people, man. I mean, you know, it's, it's all about people, no matter what job you're in, no matter what you're doing, it's about your family. It's about your friends. It's about who you work with. It's about who you get to spend time with. And, uh, I've just, I kind of like have a smile on my face today because I hadn't worked with Dom Cruz in that capacity last night. He was just so cool, man. He was just so nice. Uh, great at what he does and just a different guy in the mix that I hadn't worked with. I love seeing Felder. Like I said, the guys in the truck are my, some of my better best friends in the business i would say and i think it's um you can that happens because when you travel you just get closer to people it's why football teams used to go on training camps to colleges and stay in dorms because that that bond is something you can't imitate if everyone just goes home all the time so i've had three years of that now we're spending time at home at least me since i'm a vegas local and a lot of our crew is but um those experiences on the road and in airports and stuff like that, you know, you just, if you love who you work with, then uh, it's, it's an even better job. And I do, those are the Twitter questions. I think somebody said, what do Dom and Paul feel about giving a 10, eight to Cody Durden? That was the first fight of the night for only having back control in round one. Yeah. I don't think anybody had a problem with that. I think a lot of people online scored that a draw too. Um, Cody Durden, nice kid. Uh, I like to see what he does in the UFC and, if he has a full camp, somebody said who yelled he's out at the end of the round. 
Uh, like I said, I think that was me because of Herb doing the waggle, doing a little hand waggle. Uh, somebody having pulled it off flawlessly now in multiple countries. How do you know when the appropriate time to duck under the table has come? Because when Bobby Green spit out the water, I went on Twitter and I just said, I stayed dry, stayed dry, went under the table. I actually didn't go under the table. I hope people don't actually think I did that. But uh, okay, my friend Sammy, Sammy James, shouted him out last week because he had a compliment. He says, Brendan, I am an absolute bundle of anxiety. I'd love to have a job like you, but can't ever seem to get over that hump of angst. How do you cope if when you feel anxious during a broadcast or maybe before it begins? So this is one thing, whether you want to be a broadcaster, if you think you want to be a broadcaster, if anything, the nerves of broadcasting or being on camera performing, if you have that, it's normal. If you have that and you're a novice, it is very normal. Even if you're experienced, I've always said this, is that like I'm not nervous now going on camera, going into a UFC fight night. Like yesterday, I was I had to quarantine in the hotel from the night before, and our show started at 4 o'clock. I'm just waiting around. There's no part of me that's nervous all day. I'm just like, let's do the show. I can't wait to do the show. I'm excited to do the show because I've done it a bunch of times. But I think I mentioned this on podcast before, UFC Fresno, my first UFC card, super nervous. I had only done four contender series. I was still new to the sport. I had never been on FS1. It's a new network. Um, I hadn't even really done a lot of play-by-play. So all of a sudden, you're going to ask me to hold a microphone and stand up there and then call not just like three fights or five fights in contender series, calling 12, 13 fights um, and a full card. So I was really nervous. I didn't think I was going to be nervous for my first on-air job in Wyoming back in 2008. But wouldn't you know it, when it was time to actually do it, really nervous. Then the nerves quickly went away because I was just like, well, this is what I went to school for. This is what I do. And then I sunk into a routine of it, and it was fine. Then went to a new station, and I was like, well, I've already been doing this for two years. I'm not going to be nervous. But new people in the control room, new people on the desk with me, new studio, new state. I just moved to Texas, like super nervous for the first one, right? You, you, you're allowed to get nervous for the new jobs. Uh, I was nervous for my first contender series, was really nervous for my first in Boston. And by then I had like five years of on-air experience, but I was in Boston all of a sudden. It was a big deal. So the heart rate goes up and you learn to manage it. You learn that you're supposed to be nervous when it's new and it's okay. And um, I heard this one time and I can't, I, I don't know where I saw it, but I, and I've even told other people about this and they're like, oh, that's really good. If you're nervous, that's not a bad thing. Your, your nervousness, being nervous is your body's way of telling you that something's important. Uh, being nervous is your heart rate elevating right and and so you may not be in danger right the natural thing is like were we living in prehistoric times when there was real danger there's a tiger over there i'm nervous right it's your body's way of telling you this is important don't mess anything up right now because you're gone going on tv is not a life or death situation but your body still has that response of this is important this should be important to you. It is important. Don't mess it up. You need to be sharp, right? As long as your nerves don't take you down, they can really be helpful. You know, you can be nervous and you can nail the on-camera intro. 
because you're nervous. Like if I ever get to call a UFC pay-per-view, it's going to be a whole new batch of nerves. It's going to be a whole new batch of nerves, even though the people in the truck would be the same. If I'm working with Dom Cruz and Felder, which we just did and I wasn't nervous, and we're working in Las Vegas where I've live and work and the people in the truck are the same people that are in the truck with me last night as they often are and that sort of thing, I'm going to be nervous. I'm on a different platform. I'll just know that it's a pay-per-view. I'll know that Dana's watching. I'll know that it's going to be scrutinized. I'll know that it's my first pay-per-view. That's And I'm just saying, you know, it's not imminent, obviously. I'm saying if I ever get that chance, then I would be super nervous. If I ever go to a new TV network, let's say I ever call an NFL game, I would be really nervous to call that NFL game. So that's just how it is. Now for Sammy, uh, if you're a novice, that's fine. You, the nerves, that's fine. You got to go do it. You got to go just do it. When you're going to ask out a girl or a guy, just go do it. You need 20 seconds of courage, as my friend Steve Cam says at Nerd Fitness, and you just do it. I actually just saw a quote from Dale Carnegie, who uh, was a famous writer back, um, you know, early part of the 1900s. Um, and he's like, if you want to defeat fear, don't sit home and think about it. Go out and get busy. You know, if, if you're if you're nervous about how bad of a skateboarder am I, but you want to be a good skateboarder, well, then go do it. Go fall a thousand times. So if you want to be a broadcaster, you got to go suck. <laughs> you got to go be bad on air. And, you know, I would never call myself bad at the beginning. I always knew that I'd be fine. But um, but I just, you know, you look back at my early material and it's like it wasn't good compared to what it is now there's only one way to get here and that's to go all the way through that for 10 12 years even this podcast like going solo and and like putting it on camera and that sort of thing I was like nervous at first just like just like a weird feeling of like what am I doing this feels weird but I got stuff to talk about today I know I can do it and um so I'm doing it so so that's so I definitely wanted to say that Sammy's uh, been listening the last few weeks and I think that's it. Oh, there's one more question that I saw on Instagram, and it was about uh, wardrobe. It was about our, our uh, somebody crushed that orange tie square last night, had an orange tie pocket square. Who's best dressed on the UFC staff? All right, so I'm going to end it on this one. So the easy answer is the women. Uh, Megan O'Leary, Laura Sanko, Heidi Andral, like our reporters and stuff like that. Um, Easiest to say them, right? Women are just more fashionable. They have more options. Guys, we wear a suit and a tie, right? If you want to jazz it up, you get a pocket square. Dom had a little flower on his lapel. Uh, we're pretty basic in terms of what we can do. As far as, the, but if you're going to say staff, Megan Olivia, I would say even is the leader among them because she's very fashion forward. It's important to her and her husband, Joe Benavidez. Like he's also into fashion. Uh, Megan's, I would say, always well-dressed, um, unique styles, but good on camera, uh, you know, jumpers and rompers and blazers and dresses, but you know, she mixes it up. I'm just, you know, she, she always looks good. So I'll say that if you're asking among the commentary staff who sit octagon side, obviously, uh, you know, so me, John Good and John Anik, uh, DC Bisping, Dom Cruz, Felder, Rogan, uh, Dan Hardy. I think, I think I named them all. So, you got to keep in mind, we're all well-dressed on camera. Um, they help us out with suits, right? Like, I have a nice custom tailor suit that the UFC got me. I got a David August suit that I'm wearing on TV. David August suits and 
uh, ties and shirts and they measured me and they are custom fit to me and nobody else. They got my name on the inside. Felder's got his suits. Dom's got, and sometimes we wear our own clothes too. Like I have a closet full of suits from just from being in broadcasting for a while. But, uh, the David August ones are like kept at the UFC building and they send them and you know, they're in the cities that we're in. Like they're, you know, we go to Raleigh, North Carolina and you go to the arena, our suits are there. I mean, it's a nice, I always said TV isn't as glamorous as you think it is, but in the UFC, sometimes it kind of is. It's like I walk into the arena, my suit's sitting there with a shirt and tie all picked out, whatever. And Fox Sports, too, the uh, the wardrobe crew at Fox Sports, like super, like they'll put your their, your belt through the belt loops and socks and whatever. They, they handle it all. So in terms of that, we're all well-dressed, I would say, right? Like Bisping looks great in a suit. DC's got his suit on when he gets all dressed up. Um, you know, thanks for the compliment on my suit. Felder's got some sharp stuff. Dom had the flower lapel, all that stuff. What you got to remember is that these are all fighters. I mean, in terms of the analysts. So DC is a t-shirt guy, man. He's a wrestling coach. <laughs> like his wardrobe is wrestling coach stuff, you know, t-shirts and sweats and warmups and things like that. And at the hotel, it's like, a, it's a lot of t-shirts and loungewear and, you know, that none of us are like strolling down in jeans and fancy stuff. And we go out to dinner, you, you wear a collared shirt and things like that. Uh, Dom Cruz shows up yesterday in like a tank top and shorts to the apex, man, because he's a fighter, right? He's training all the time. These are athletic dudes. They're wearing athletic clothes all the time. Um, and then John Gooden wears the the bow tie. So that's like his own flair of style. And then like, I mean, I would categorize myself as like suburban dad style, like, you know, I'm mostly in a t-shirt and sweats or whatever, especially these days because I'm hanging around the house so much. But even out and about, I'm a khaki, sometimes jeans, collared shirt type of guy. But Dan Hardy, I would say, if you're going to talk about the guys who call the fights, um, he has a different style, but it's like thought thought about i would say like he's into punk rock so wear like a jean jacket and maybe he's effortless maybe he's not trying or whatever but like when he wants like he'll be in a jean jacket that has some buttons on it and that sort of thing it's like put together and then he obviously wear he'll wear a vest and i like the patterns you know what i mean like he'll put put vest together with a patterned shirt and and a jacket or whatever so on his own i'd say dan hardy might be the most stylish but uh yeah anyways or a bunch of guys in t-shirts and a bunch of fighters in the wrestling room if you're DC or the training room and that sort of thing. Felder does wear a lot of skinny jeans. Felder wears no belt skinny jeans. He does a little cuff at the bottom. Uh, so he's got, but mostly just t-shirts. So Felder's got a little bit of that. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, so that's that's the inside scoop on that. All right, 55 minutes here. I'm going to call it there. Thanks for those questions. I figured that this podcast would be better when I am active as a broadcaster. So here we are in the month of August, happy to react to last night having a front row seat and getting it out there for you guys. Peek behind the curtain. It was an interesting night of shots below the belt and fights getting called off and maybe Ed Herman getting called back, but he had drank too much tequila. So, uh, man... We'll remember that one in a weird way. We'll remember that one because it was only eight fights and uh, it was it was a fun. It was certainly a fun main card and some big victories for Derek Brunson, Jennifer Maya and Vicente Luque, especially and Bobby Green. So uh, that's going to do it, folks. Thanks for listening to the Brendan Fitz podcast. I'll come to you next week. I'm on the call with Felder. 
Alexei Olenek, Derek Lewis in our main event. And uh, so I'm sure I'll have a whole new batch of stories for you. Thanks for listening. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at TV and youtube.com slash Podcast. Subscribe there and like it. All right. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next week. Thank you.